Welcome to the Voice of Victory podcast. The goal of this podcast is to preserve the life and ministry of our late pastor, Dr. Jim Tedder. For 58 years, Dr. Tedder was the pastor of Victory Baptist Church in Shelbyville, Tennessee. We believe the message you're about to enjoy will be a help and an encouragement to you. Thank you so much for listening. And now, here is Dr. Jim Tedder. I won't make any write-ups in the newspaper and won't make any radio programs and won't get interviewed on television. But bless your sweetheart, I'm, I'm desirous that Victory Baptist Church people know the truth about this thing. And I want to preach the truth this morning with so much as that God will give me the power to do it. In the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verse 18, you know what it says, uh, without turning there, but I want you to turn there. The scripture said, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto those things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in the book. Now, God said, don't take away anything from a book. You just leave the book alone. And then he said in verse 19, don't you take away from the words of my book. You leave the words alone. And then he said in verse 20, and he which saith these things saith, Surely I come quickly, amen, even so come Lord Jesus, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. Now could it be that the very context of that is put in uh, this at the end time? Notice immediately when he said, Don't you add to my word, don't you take from my word. He said in verse 20, The one that just spoke these things said, Surely I come quickly. Now could it be that Jesus is trying to tell us that in the last days we're going to see a great, great many uh, reproductions of so-called scripture? In the last 40 years or 30 years, we've seen 40 different versions of the Bible come on the market. In 30 years, 40 different rewritings of the Bible. And every one of them that's been rewritten has been rewritten in order for hip to hip me and you to understand the King James Bible. Or they've been written to correct some of the archaic language. Or they've been written to correct some of the errors that supposedly so-called scholars have discovered in the Bible. And they've been, every one of them, I mean from the Living Bible to the Revised Standard Version, American, all of them, all of them have been written because men have convinced themselves that we don't have the pure Word of God. And once they write it, we're going to have a pure form of the Word of God. Well, now you listen to me. I don't think we need these versions myself. I really don't. And, and uh, uh, 2,500 years ago, God, uh, well, let's go back further than that. About four or 5,000 years ago, uh, God told uh, Abraham, he said, I'll bless you, and I'll bless any nations that will bless you, and I'll curse any nations that will curse you. I'm uh, talking about the Jewish nation. And then when Moses brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, and God gave them the law from heaven, uh, there's more than just the Ten Commandments given in that law. There was a ceremonial law, the civic, uh, the civic law, and as well as the Ten Commandments of God found in that law that God gave Moses, and he wrote it, and, and it's inspired, and it's in the Bible. But anyway, God gave the children of Israel this law, and, and he told them that so long as you worship me, you can dwell in the land of, of plenty, in the land of Canaan. So long as you abide my commandments, I'll see to it that no nation on earth will defeat you. But then he said, when you begin to walk apart from my statutes and apart from my commandments, then the Lord said, I'm going to let a Gentile kingdom come on you, and I'm going to disperse you among all nations. And, and folks, it will happen. It happened just the way God said it did. And, and instead of walking after God, they begin to walk after the gods of that land, and then the next thing you knew, they were brought into captivity. 
2,500 years ago, a king in, in Babylon by the name of Nebuchadnezzar walked in or marched in with his army into Jerusalem and led the Jewish people away 2,500 years ago. And up until 1948, the Jewish people were dispersed among all the nations of the world. Now, you know that. That's just history. I'm not telling you anything that you've never heard a hundred times already. And the Jewish nation, the Jewish people wondered as a people, not a nation, but as a people uh, in every nation. There's German Jews, there's Russian Jews, there's English Jews, uh, there's Jews born in France and Jews born in America and Jews born in Mexico and Jews born all over the world. But the ironic thing about it is that for 2,500 years, those Jewish people were scattered to the four winds and to every nation under heaven. They remained a people. And in 1948, they went back and they raised the Star of David or the flag over Israel again. They got their own currency. They got their own government. Uh, they're recognized in the United Nations and they're a nation once more. Folks, the Jews have been blamed for everything from the Black Death to uh, in Hitler's time, he called them an inferior people and, and said, we've got to annihilate the world of these Jews. They're going to contaminate the world and that was basically one of the reasons that we fought World War II uh, is because of his views on, on the, the Jewish race. And uh, they've been blamed for the crucifixion of Jesus and for the black death and for uh, contaminating the world, what have you may. They've been run out of their homeland. The Jewish people are the persecuted people of this world. There's never been a nation that's been persecuted like Israel. Uh, Moses saw that. God prophesied that. You remember when Moses was tending sheep yonder in the mountain and he was called out to, and, and all of a sudden they saw a bush burning. You remember that? And the Bible said that Moses went over and began to look at that bush. Folks, it's nothing unusual on a desert to see a bush by spontaneous combustion catch on fire and burn up. Nothing unusual about that. It happens all the time. But there's something unusual about this bush. It kept burning and kept burning and kept burning and kept burning and yet it didn't burn up. And, and Moses saw that, and he went over, and God began to speak to him out of that bush, and he said, The ground where thou standest is holy ground. Now, he was making a prophecy through that burning bush about Israel, that she would go through the tribulation, she would try to be annihilated, people would hate the Jewish people, uh, disperse the Jewish people, try to kill the Jewish people, burn them by the millions in the ovens in Germany during World War II, blame them for everything that happened in the world that went wrong, and yet they would not be annihilated. They would not be annihilated because they're God's chosen people. There's no power in history, and there's no power coming that's going to annihilate the Jew. The Antichrist is going to try it, and he's going to fail. The Scripture says in Matthew chapter 24, there will come a time when every nation on the face of this earth will turn against the nation Israel, but they shall survive because they're the people of God. They're blind right now as to their Messiah, but they're still God's chosen nation, God's chosen people. Now, why does the world hate the Jew? What's wrong with the Jewish people? Well, I'm going to contend this morning that there's not so much wrong with the Jewish people as it is to what they have given to this world. They have given the Ten Commandments to this world, and the world don't like those commandments. They have given the Bible to the world, and the world doesn't like the Bible. They have given a Savior to the world, and the world doesn't like the Savior. And by the way, if I was the devil, there would be one nation that I would try to destroy, and that would be the nation that gave the world the Ten Commandments. And that would be the nation that gave the world the, the, the Word of God. And that would be the nation that gave the world the, the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all these things came by way of the Jewish nation. Amen? 
Whether we like it, whether we want to accept it or not, it's the truth, it's a fact of history, and nothing can change that fact in history. Brother, I'm going to contend today that Hitler and Mussolini and all the other people that have persecuted the Jews down through the ages have done it because Satan despises and hates the people of God. And if he can destroy that nation, he can prove God to be a liar. And if he can prove God to be a liar, then everything that you and I stand for has gone down the drain. So he hates the Jewish nation. When I bought this, the fellow that I bought it from said, we have finally come up with a Bible that will replace the King James Bible. Why do we want to replace the King James Bible? Could it be like Israel? That this is the Bible that God wants the English-speaking people to have and Satan hates it so much that he's written 40 different versions in the past 30 years to try to do away with this version? And this version still lives on? And I'm going to make a prediction, friend. It's going to keep on living on. And it's going to keep on living on. And it's going to keep on living on. And I'm going to say, just like the Jewish nation, this is the book that God put his stamp of approval upon. And demons in hell and scholars and nobody else is going to be able to take this word, this word, I'm holding up the wrong one, this word away from us. Now that's my belief on that. The real reason for the attack on the King James Bible. It could be that that's just the one that God's ordained. I'm talking about for the English speaking people. I'm talking about for me and you. And I know that God said over here in Revelation 22, 18 through 21, God said, don't bother to change my words, just leave my words alone. Now, I want to give you about five or six reasons real quickly why I reject this New King James Bible. Reason number one, I reject this New King James Bible because of a paragraph that's on the front page. I'll read it to you. All rights reserved. No part of this publication may be reproduced in any form or by any means without the publisher's prior written permission. I reject that on that ground. You say, Brother Jim, on what ground? On the grounds that this book's copyrighted and this book I'm reading from is not copyrighted. I reject it on that ground. You say, Brother Jim, what are you talking about? I go over and I go over to the back of my King James Bible and I read something that's very similar to that. Uh, let me read it to you. It just said it was it just said uh, uh, the reprinting of any portion of the special helps or references of this Bible without the published permission is forbidden. Uh, special helps and references. Didn't say anything about the reprinting of the scripture. Didn't say anything about the reprinting of the word, it just said the special helps. The special helps are what Schofield put in my Bible. If you've got a Schofield Bible, it says the same thing. But nobody, nobody, nobody on the face of this earth can forbid the printing of the Scripture. Isn't that glorious? God wrote one book, and God said, I'm going to have that book so high and so holy that nobody on the face of this earth can limit that book by putting copyright laws on it. And that book that's written like that is the King James Bible. Now, I mean, what does that mean? You can take the King James Bible to India and you can print it in India if you want to. You don't have to get permission to do it. You can print it in Russia and you don't have to get permission to do it. It's just against the law. Amen. You can print it in Mexico. You don't have to get permission to do it. We could set up a shop right now and print the King James Bible if we had the funds by the multiplied millions and distribute that in any continent on the face of this earth and nobody has the right to say anything about it. But brother, I can't do this book that way. They say, they say any, any portion of this book that's reprinted without permission, prior written permission, is prohibited by law. Now, what you say, preacher, big deal, big deal. Oh, yes, it is a big deal, honey. It is a big deal. 
it is a big deal because if you can make laws that would govern the printing of the word of God, then you can make laws governing God. Do you want some laws govern your home, your Christian home? I don't. Brother, my Christian home is governed by the word of God. Amen. Do you want laws that can govern your Christian church? I don't. The church is governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of God comes under that same heading. And it's also governed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's free to all men. And nobody has a right to put a prohibition of the printing of the word of God on anything. So I reject this thing because, number one, it is copyrighted. I reject the New King James Bible because like many other versions, all other versions, it's taken unneeded liberties in changing some of the scriptures, some of the words. And God said in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, don't you change my words. In, in, for instance, let me read you in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, I'm reading from the New King James, and how, but have not love, I have become a sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. Now, the only word that was changed there is the word love. In my Bible, in your Bible, it says charity. And for years, this preacher was brainwashed into thinking that you could change the word charity to the word love and not do any damage to the Scripture. I've even stood in this pulpit and said it, but not one of you have heard me say that in over a year now, because about a year ago, God opened my eyes. Brother Bob Luster was preaching on a Wednesday night, and he made a statement, there is a difference between law, uh, love, and charity. And when he said that, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 hit me just like a ton of bricks. And I said, is there really a difference between law and uh, love and charity? And then whenever I begin to analyze it, Charity, Doug, is when I give something to somebody and never expect anything in return. Right? That's charity. Love, I give love to my family, but I expect love in return. Amen? You give out love and you expect people to love you. But charity goes a step farther than love. Charity is when you love somebody and know that they'll never be able to return anything, but yet you keep on loving them anyway. Brother, I'll not change, and you'll never hear this preacher change the word charity to love again. I made up my mind over a year ago I wouldn't do it. I had to repent and say, God, forgive me. I'm sorry. I ought to believe you. You wrote the Bible. You put the right word in there, and I had no authority to change it. But you said, but these scholars, in the name of common sense, quoting the scholars, and quote Jesus. Oh, my soul. I was listening to a fellow this morning on the radio. He was preaching on reasons why water baptism cannot save you. Nationwide broadcast. I told my wife, I said, I respect the man's courage. And then all of a sudden he began to prove a point and he laid aside the Bible and started quoting the scholars. You hear me. I believe when God said, let every man be a liar, let God be the truth. He means the scholars too. You don't quote the scholars, you quote the Bible. You don't prove what you're trying to preach because somebody wrote it or somebody said it. You back up and support what you're preaching because it's written in the infallible, inspired, preserved Word of God. You say, well, I'll choose the scholars. Go ahead and hold on to them. I'll hold on to Jesus. I'll just hold on to Jesus. Well, then I reject this thing because of that reason. In that particular instance, it's changed the words. You say, no big deal. Well, maybe it's not a big deal. 
in Second Thessalonians to you, but it is to me a big deal. Second Thessalonians chapter two and verse seven. My Bible reads Second Thessalonians two and seven. It's talking about the uh, Antichrist. And the scripture says, the mystery of iniquity doeth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now, in, in this Bible, New King James Bible, I'll read it to you. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, only he who now restrains will restrain until he be taken out of the way. Again, the scholars said that word let means restrain. I went along with that because the scholars said it. And surely the scholars know, and surely I'm a nobody, and surely I don't have the right to really understand the Bible. I've got to bow down at the feet of the scholars. That's a big bunch of hogwash. You bow down at the feet of God's Holy Spirit, and he'll teach you God's holy word. You don't have to bow down to the feet of nobody to understand this book. You've got to bow down to God to understand this book. And again, I let the scholars say that word means restrain. And for years I stood and preached that word means restrain. I quit preaching this one about four or five years ago. Now, my King James Bible said, Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. I believe the word's let. And I believe the word's let because everything the devil does today, God's got to let him do it. And every move the devil makes, God's got, by the way, God's not just a force that restrains the devil. God is a force that's so sovereign that the devil can't sneeze unless God gives him permission to do it. Amen? Well, see, we've got this thing in the wrong line. We've got God standing back here pushing against the devil. And the devil will make a little bit of an inroad. And God will finally drive him back just a little bit. And the devil will make another inroad. And the God will drive him back a little bit more. You listen to me. The God that I serve, all he's got to do is to say the word, and Satan is gone off the scene, honey. He's not a threat against God. He is a power that's under subjection to God, just like any other power that there is on this earth. God is in control, and Satan can only do what God lets him do. Buddy, that's good old common everyday farming language, amen? You know what that means, and I know what that means, and again, we didn't have to go to the scholars to get it. Alvin, I'm teaching something this morning. Now, you listen to me. This business of letting and restraining and all that kind of mess, you say, well, Brother Jim, there's people smarter than you. Okay, maybe they are. You give them an IQ test and me an IQ test, and maybe they're so much smarter than me, it makes me look like an idiot. But I believe the Word of God. Don't get mad at me because I believe the word of God. Don't get mad at me because I believe God said, let my words alone and don't be tampering with them and trying to change them. Well, let's go on. There's another reason I want to give you. Uh, I, by the way, before I get off, off that one, uh, no, I'm going to go on in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. Albumen. I had to look at that word just a little bit. Albumen. Uh, in one of the recent translations of the Bible, to make us understand it a little bit plainer, the, the, the quote in Proverbs, it talks about there's no taste in the white of an egg. Ringing of blood, ringing of the nose, bringing forth blood. You know, all these little sayings over there. Uh, that quote that says uh, that there's no taste in the white of an egg. In order to help me and you understand it, it was changed to there is no taste in the albunum 
of an egg. And if I got up here and said, did you have your albumin scrambled? Or was it sunny side up? How many of you folks would know what I'm talking about? Well, there'd be a few of you. It's the albino, the white. It, there'd be a few of you. It's the albino, the white. It, I mean, that's the root word of it. And maybe after a while, you could take a Latin lesson and figure out what I'm talking about. But they changed that little word and said, that's the albumin of the egg now that's got no taste in it. And God's word said the white of the egg has no taste in it. Now, which is the easiest to understand? I just ask you. I just ask you. You go around, you ladies get your recipe book out, and it says separate the yolk from the albumin. You take the hammer and hit the old man on the cranium or something, you know. You, right? Get your equilibrium off, and your medulla oblongata would be in a mess, and your phalanges would curl up, and a whole bunch of good stuff would happen to you right there. Uh, you, you wouldn't know what I'm talking about. And, you, and listen, God put his word down there. By the way, isn't it good that God put his word down there where sheep can understand it? See, it's not it, it's not giraffe's food, it's sheep's food. God's word down there on the level of the sheep, honey. Uh, by the way, did he not tell Peter, he said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, sheep, grown up, lambs, little babies. You know what he wants us to feed them on? The word of God. And then it's strange that God said, my word's written so unscientifically, my word's written so unscholarly, if you please, that it's divine truth, holy truth, and without error, but little children can understand it. Isn't that glorious? Now that's glorious. Folks, just let me stay in my dream world if I'm dreaming. I'm satisfied there. Okay, let me go on now. I want to read you. I want to read you a verse of scripture out of my Bible in Ephesians chapter 5. And verse 18, Ephesians 5, 18, the scripture says, Be not drunk on wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. I want to read you the same verse out of this one. Keeping in mind now, it was written so that we could understand better the word of God. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask you, be not drunk on wine uh, wherein is dissipation. Did you get me? Did you get me? Well, I didn't get me, and I got my dictionary down, and I said, now what is the word dissipation? And I looked it up, and the first meaning of the word dissipation is scatter. Okay, I said, be not drunk on wine, where is in is scatter? Well, that makes about as much sense as the albunum of an egg, huh? Okay, and then I looked up the next definition in my dictionary, and it says, uh, uh, be not drunk on wine, and it meant, number two, uh, to make to disappear. Be not drunk on wine, wherein is to make to disappear. That made a little bit more sense in albunum. And then I looked up again, and it says, Be not drunk on wine, wherein is to waste. That was the third meaning of it. And then the fourth meaning and the last meaning said, Be not drunk on wine, uh, which uh, is, uh, is to indulge in pleasure. And evidently that's the meaning that they're grappling for right here. The fourth meaning in the dictionary, the fourth, not the first, not the second, not the third, but the fourth meaning in the English-speaking tongue is the word dissipation. I'm going to ask you something. If I got up here and said, be not drunk on wine, wherein is dissipation, or be not drunk on wine, wherein is excess, which one would you have the least trouble understanding? Sure. Just understand the word of God. You say, well, Brother Jim, that's going to cause somebody else to go out and get drunk. 
And your friends don't like it access. I beg your pardon. Anybody that knows the teaching of the word of God knows that God said, look thou not upon the wine when it's red, give it its color in the cup, move it itself aright. Amen. All we need to do is just read the Bible, believe the Bible, let the Bible speak for itself. I reject this New King James Bible, number three, because it muddies the plan of salvation. In the book of, uh, I, well, let me read you. Let me read you what it says in, in John chapter one and verse 12. You know what it says. It's, it's a good verse of scripture. John 1, 12. Listen to it. The Bible said, but as many as received him, to them gave he powers to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. To as many as received the, him, to them gave he the power to become the son of God, the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Let me read you the same, the same verse of scripture here out of the new King James Bible. You be the judge. And as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those that believe in his name. Now, wait a minute. That Bible said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God. I'm going to take exception to that because I believe every man, every woman, every boy and girl that's ever lived has a right to become the son of God, a son of God. Did you hear me? Every child that's ever born has a right to become a son of God. Every human being that ever lived has a right to become the sons of God, but only those that believe have the power to become the sons of God. There's no limited atonement with God. He said, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is not willing that any should perish. And you listen to me. God just doesn't give to us that are saved the right to be God's son. God gives to every human being that ever lived the right to be God's son. Not only does he give them the right, he gives every human being that ever lived and that ever will live the invitation to become the sons of God. Are you with me on that? Is there a difference between the right and the power? I think there's a vast difference. We that have believed have the power to become the sons of God. But you listen to me. I had the right to be God's son ten years before I ever believed. Amen? I had that right. I was just rejecting it. But I didn't have the power to become the sons of God or the a son of God until I believed on him and trusted him. So there is a little bit of difference between right and power, is there not? At least in my mind, I think there is. Well, I rejected number four, the, this new King James Bible, because of its treatment of Satan. Now, I want to read you something. You've got to listen real close to this one, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5 and 6. And the devil taketh him up into a holy city, and setteth him upon the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. I want you to notice the phrase, lest at any time. I want you to look at the word at any time. Is it, is it in italics? No, it's not in italics. Well, it's not a word that they translated and put in there for us to know a little bit better. Let's go over here now to the fourth chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 4 and verse 10. The Bible said, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thy dash thy foot against a stone. Well, that's a little bit different reading. 
from Matthew. Luke's gospel give it a little bit different. The wording is just a little bit different. Did you catch it? It is just a little bit different. Well, Matthew wrote as God inspired him. Luke wrote as God inspired him. But I want you to see a phrase that God inspired both these writers to put in there. Lest at any time. Now God inspired both of those men, Matthew and Luke, to put that little phrase at any time. Now let's go back to the 91st Psalm, Psalms 91, verse 11 and 12, and let's read what they're quoting. Psalms 91, 11 and 12, or what the devil's quoting, I should say. Psalms 91, for this is the devil that's speaking, folks. Did you hear me? The one that said, he shall give his angels charge over thee to bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. That's the devil quoting to Jesus. It's not Jesus, and it's not the Bible being quoted. It's the devil quoting the Bible. Are you with me? You got me where I'm coming from on that? Okay, let's see what the Bible really says. In Psalms 91 and verse 10, the Bible, or verse, uh, let's see, verse uh, 11, for he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways, and they shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. Now there's three little words that Luke and Matthew said the devil said that's not in Psalms 91 at any time. Well, they would just put three little words in there at any time because listed, the devil is a misquoter of scripture. The devil came up to Eve in the Garden of Eden and said, Yea, hath God said. Are you listening? Nearly 6,000 years ago, he said, Woman, can you really trust what God said? Well, we've got us a new Bible. We've had 40 different new Bibles in the last 30 years that says, Can you really believe what God said? If I can believe what God said, all I need is one Bible. But if I can't believe what God said, then I need to get me 49 more Bibles and try to put them all together and figure out what God said. Who is the author of this business? Are you sure you know what God said? Satan. Satan. Who is it that misquoted the verse of Scripture in Matthew and in Luke? Satan. Who was it that added at any time? Satan. Was that what the Bible said? No, that's not what the Bible said. But that's what Satan said the Bible said. And then he said, Eve, are you really sure you understand what God said? Oh, yes, she said. I know what God said. God said, I can't eat that fruit of that certain tree, and nor, nor can I touch it. And said, if I touch it, I'll die. If I eat it, I'll die. If I touch it, I'll die. You read Genesis chapter 2, verse 17. God didn't say that. God said, you, you'll not eat of that tree. And said, if you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. He didn't say anything about not touching it. Eve just added that because she would gotten this translating crowd and wanted to go along with Mr. Bidenshot over there. Right? So she went along with the devil. And then the devil said, that's not so. If the devil can make you doubt any part of God's word, then the devil can make you doubt every part of God's word. If the devil can make you doubt a little bit, he can make you doubt a whole lot. And you listen to me, mister. It's the devil's business to make you doubt God. And it's the devil's business to make you doubt the word of God. That's what he lives on. That's what he thrives on. 
I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you. The same scriptures here. You listen to them real closely. And in, in, in Matthew chapter 4, the Bible said, here's the quote from the devil. And, and he said, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. You say, just an accident. I read uh, the fourth chapter of the book of Luke, for it is written, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest thou dash thy foot against the stone. The devil in this Bible is quoting the scripture exactly. I reject that. Because the only way the devil can do his ugly operation is that he perverts and twists the word of God, which the King James Bible makes so plainly to anybody that's got enough sense to read the King's English. Do you understand where I'm coming from, folks? You say, Brother Jim, these are such little things. How many little bits of poison have you got to put in a package of peacock to kill a mouse? Just a little bit of poison. Most of it is barley. Most of it is wheat. And most of it is corn. But there's just a little bit of poison. How many pieces of, 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 of cyanide did they have to put in a Tylenol in order to kill seven people? How many cyanide tablets does a man have to swallow before he dies? Just one. How many lies did the devil trick evil? A dozen? Twenty? Half a page? Just one. And brother, if just one was wrong at the beginning, just one's wrong now. If there was just one error in this Bible, I would reject it. And I don't believe the devil can quote scripture. He misquotes scripture. He abuses scripture. He twists scripture. He perverts scripture. He adds to the scripture. He subtracts from the scripture. And that's the reason God said, don't you do it. If you start doing it, he said, you're going to be in the same camp with Satan. You get where God's coming from? Okay. I don't like the way it handles the devil. I reject this New King James Bible because of its treatment on our Lord. I've told you from the very beginning that every translation that's ever hit this market somehow or another has attacked the deity of Jesus Christ. And if you attack Christ and his deity, we have no Christ. If Jesus is not the God-man, then Jesus is just a man. By the way, the, he's the God-man. He's not the man-God. He is the God-man. Jesus was God before he was made man. He is the God-man. He's God first, he's man second. He is all God and he is all man. In the, in the Schofield Bible, there's a footnote in Ephesians, in, in Philippians, uh, chapter one, chapter two and verse six. There's a footnote. I'm gonna read, I'm gonna read you Philippians two six. The Bible says, who, talking about Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And, and the W note in the side margin of the Schofield Bible says the word robbery means a thing to be grasped after. When I turn to the, the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6 in this, who being in the form of God did not consider, uh, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Schofield said my notes are mine. Well, this changed the note just a little bit, but the same word is there. 
who did not think that to be equal with God was something to be grasped after or seized upon. You listen to me. When I read that verse of Scripture, if I didn't have this and if I didn't have that center column reference, I'd read that verse of Scripture, who being in the form of God, I'd say that man is God. That man is God. He's not God the Father. He's not God the Spirit, but he's God the uh, God the Son. God the Son, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Jesus said, I can be equal with God without stealing any one of God's attributes away from him. I can be equal with God without lowering God's holiness, without lowering God's omniscience, without lowering God's omnipotence. I can be equal with God without, uh, without lowering God's wisdom. I can be equal with God without lowering God's righteousness or God's standard or God's word. I can be equal with God. I don't get that when I read this. I don't get that when I read this. Let us make man in our image. Who was he talking to? God the Son. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things were made, were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Who is the God of creation? Jesus Christ. Who is the God of redemption? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that conquered death, hell, and the grave? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that the Father said, no man can come to me except they come through Him? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will going to make us remember all things concerning Him? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that's pictured in Genesis and Revelation and every other book in between? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that everything in the ark of the, uh, in, in the tabernacle and in the temple, every color and every piece of furniture and every kind of metal and every kind of wood, who is the God that it paints the picture of? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that the Passover lamb paints the picture of? Jesus Christ. Who is the God in the Song of Solomon that's lifted up as the bridegroom? Jesus Christ. Who is the God in the book of Exodus that's called the Passover? Jesus Christ. Who is the God in the book of Genesis that's called the beginning? Jesus Christ. Who is the God that's in the book of Revelation is called the end? Jesus Christ. Are you with me? Am I deflating Jesus? Am I defaming Jesus? Am I lowering Jesus? Or am I lifting Jesus up this morning? I think I'm lifting him up. And I'm thinking this Bible lifts him up, and this Bible doesn't do such a good job of it. Let me read you one more verse. In, in, in the book of, and, and I, I get on this, if you got you want to use new Scofield Bibles, your Bible's going to read just like this one. You've got your old King James Bible, it'll read just like mine reads. In the book of, of Matthew, chapter 27 and verse 4. By the way, I'm going to tell you something. I have never preached a sermon in the past 10 years that I am as calm in preaching as I am this morning. Folks, Christ is with me this morning. Now, I know that. You might not have been tuned in on what I'm tuned in on, but I know who's standing up here helping me preach this morning. In, in the 27th book of uh, chapter of Matthew and, and verse 4, Judas has come back into the temple. He's thrown the 30 pieces of silver down at the chief priest's feet and the elders' feet. And he said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed thee innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? Now Judas said, I have sinned in that I have betrayed what kind of blood? The innocent blood. Now, if you've got a new Schofield Bible, the word thee has been left out, and it just says innocent blood. Now, you watch me. 
I could get up here and make all kinds of lies against Jackie Lambert and turn you folks against Jackie Lambert. I could accuse Jackie of breaking the law, and if I've got some uh, policeman friends and some judges friends, uh, then we just might get old Jack out of here, get him in jail because of my lie. And just as sure as we got under, uh, got convicted and was sent off to prison, then I've betrayed innocent blood because Jackie would be innocent of the crime that I charged against him. That's innocent blood. Naboth, when, when, when they had him killed, they betrayed innocent blood. You with me? When Paul went over and arrested the Christians and threw them in the amphitheater and they were uh, tried and sentenced to death and they lost their lives, Paul had betrayed innocent people. But Judas said, I've done more than just betrayed the innocent or an innocent person. He said, I have betrayed the innocent blood. And the word these there. Amen. The word these there. He just didn't say I betrayed innocent blood. He said, I betrayed the innocent blood, meaning that the blood that was in the veins of Jesus Christ was unique and different from any of the blood that was ever flowed in the veins of any other human being. If all Paul or all Judas did was betray innocent blood and it wasn't the innocent blood of God, then Jesus was no different from any other human being that ever walked on the face of this earth. But Jesus is unique. If Jesus wasn't unique, he had no right to say, I am the way. He didn't say, I am way. He said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am truth. He said, I am the truth. He didn't say, I am life. He said, I am the life. He didn't say, I am a door. He says, I am the door. He didn't say, I am a Lord. He says, I am the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Meaning that there's no other door to heaven. There's no other way to approach God. There's no other life outside His Son. There's no other truth outside of Jesus Christ. There's no other Lord outside of Jesus Christ. And there is no other innocent blood outside the blood of Jesus Christ. And the greatest witness of the deity of Christ that in his veins flowed the blood of God is Judas Iscariot, the Christ leader. He was the man that betrayed him. He was the man that sold him. And yet after he had committed such a crime, after he'd allowed his body, his mind, his spirit to be possessed by the devil, he threw that money down and said, I have betrayed the unique blood of Jesus Christ. Now, folks, to me, these things that I pointed out to you matter. I'm going to say it again. Nobody's going to interview me. No magazine's going to come and write an article over what I've said, and it won't even make the headlines in tomorrow's newspaper, and it won't even be given a three-second spot on a news forecast. But you let the Pope get the croup, and they'll interrupt your football game to say the Pope is croupy. But you let somebody try to stand up for that which is right, nobody makes notice of it. And I'm not wanting anybody to make notice of it, but I want the people that I pastor to know why I reject the King James, this new King James Bible. 
Now you say, Brother Jim, you 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 put yourself in a, in, in, a, in a precarious position. Maybe I have, and I might go down, but I'm going to go down believing that what I've got here is the Bible, and I don't need any changing. And God had sense enough to write it the way He wanted me and you to understand it. And if you can't understand the Bible, don't go and buy you a perversion. Get on your face and ask the author of that Bible to help you to understand it. And don't you read that Bible unless you consult with the author of that Bible. Don't you just pick up that Bible and read it and, and try to dig out of it the truth until you first of all have prayed about it. It's a holy book, a divine book. And it's spiritually discerned. And only God's Holy Spirit can teach you that Bible. If the uniqueness of the blood of Jesus Christ is destroyed, is he any different from Mohammed? Is he any different from Buddha? Is he any different from any Roman Catholic priest or any religious leader? If the uniqueness of the blood of Jesus is taken out of the scripture, we have no Lord and we have no Savior. If his blood was like your blood, we have no blood atonement. If he had the sin of Adam in his blood, then his blood is wicked like yours and he needs somebody to die for him. I'm going to ask you again. How much poison do you have to digest before you die? How much poison does the devil have to put into a, a packet of truth before it's contaminated? How many lies do you have to tell before you're a liar? How many people have to die before you're a murderer? How much money do you have to steal before you're a thief? How many people do you have to cheat before you become a cheater? How many lies have got to be published before it's wrong? Folks, there's one way to heaven. That's through Jesus Christ. And the only reason he can save us is because in him is the blood of God. Have you been saved by that blood? I ask you that this morning as honestly and sincerely as a man can ask you. Are you under his blood? You say, I'm in his church. That's not going to work. You're going to have to be under his blood. I'm in the Baptist church. That's not going to work either. You're going to have to be in under his blood. Just bow our heads. I don't know how to give an invitation on that sermon. I don't know how. If there's an invitation given, if there's need made this morning, it's going to be because God's Holy Spirit directed that way. I'm going to ask you right now, what will you do with Jesus, which is called Christ? What are you going to do with the Son of God? Folks, I'm trying to lift him up. I'm trying to honor him. The King James Bible lifts him up and honors him. Every other version that's ever been printed does something like this one. Brings him down, lowers him, does something to him. Don't change the Word of God. Believe it. Believe it, believe it, believe it. Just, just pray and say, God, help me understand. Give me understanding. Teach me, Lord, thy word. Let me hide thy word in my heart that I'm going to sin against God.